With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Can we hurry up with the show tonight? I need to head over to Iowa and not gamble with the good life. <laughs> That's right. You can now uh, legally bet uh, sports in Iowa. Uh, Mac? What up, Redcasters? I want you to join me in wishing my boy here a happy birthday. Matthew, happy birthday, man. Aww. Excited to be podcasting on your on your special day. Ah, thanks. Nice. I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to congratulate the uh, Redcast fan base. I thought they'd jump all over uh, Orly Thorpe for an alternate name for Honky's next uh, murder mystery tour. So, But they opted for uh, Ebenezer Mocket for the uh, pre-war bracket. I was surprised. So. <laughs> what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no, Dave, you what? need to hang out on our social media account a little more. So, I guess so, man. I've totally oh, those are some on deep this. tracks in there. Nice work. I'm on it. I'm on it all the time. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Hockey like was our social you... media director, and he doesn't know what's going on. It's probably just as well. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I, I, before we go any further, tune with Michael uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, guys, you saw that uh, since you guys always talk about Columbus Scotus, I want to give a shout out to Columbus High, who runners up Class B uh, boys soccer. Uh, my nephew Talon is on that team. They did not uh, win the state championship, but uh, good effort there by the Discoverers. Uh, Speaking of um, local national media following uh, Huskers, uh, we had uh, Scott Frost on Jim Rome uh, this week. Honk, did you get a chance to listen to that interview? Yeah, it was, it's always good to see uh, or hear Frost on the on Rome. Rome has a soft spot for Nebraska. He even talked about oh, the very does. end of it. You know how Don't it was his first. Live. I think it was his first big trip he said outside of the jungle was coming to Lincoln back in the, the late 90s. You know, it's one of those things, too. I was listening to him talk about that, and I just keep thinking, it's such a rare time as a Husker fan where I actually feel like college football is is poised and really wants us to get good again. And and for years I would have said people hated us and, like, there's this media bias. and But right now it feels like everyone is sort of pulling for Nebraska to get good. Everybody seems to really dig on Frost. And like the, the idea of us kind of turning the corner and using our natural resources to come back on top is like a national story to some extent. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. Well, it's I'm a, so uncomfortable. It's back to the future because Frost was talking about things like walk-ons and strength and conditioning and just basically doing what we did for so many years and, and we stopped doing sure. it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a constant debate on shows. I listened to The Audible with uh, – Mandel and, and Feldman, and they're always arguing whether Nebraska can uh, turn it around or not. And they actually had an I don't know if you listened to this, uh, Honk, but they had a, a storyline, something about uh, all-time walk-ons. And uh, one of them was like, you know, if they had a walk-on Hall of Fame, would you 
put it in Madison, Wisconsin, and they talk about uh, some of the Wisconsin walk-ons, like J.J. Watt, for mm-hmm. a little bit. And then, like, Stewart's like, oh, wait a second, I better not go too far because uh, some folks in Lincoln, Nebraska, probably think that they should be the Hall of Fame of, of walk-ons. So I think that was a was an interesting thing. But uh, it, it it is an interesting that the national media is a little bit fascinated on whether Scott Frost can do this or not. And um, he's getting a lot of national pub for it. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Wisconsin there, or that they brought up Wisconsin, because that was my argument before we ever hired Frost. My argument about wanting to bring back things like the walk-on program, strength and conditioning, you know, recruiting in state, and the big knock on it when we were still in the Riley regime was that, oh, well, football's changed. Stop bringing up the 90s. It's not played that way anymore. And my whole knock was, that's what Wisconsin's been doing. Wisconsin copied everything from our playbook, and they seem to be able to have success in the, the 2000s and the 2000 teens, you know, they were able to have success doing what we were doing, but there's limitations that we've talked about. Wisconsin just can't recruit the way that we can recruit. So we can blend, and we've talked about this a thousand times, we can blend getting some national players. We can go down to SEC country. We can go into California. We can get some of those guys, but we also do it with the old school Nebraska in-state walk-on strength and conditioning program, and holy smokes, that's a heck of a combination. Yeah, the, the, it was the culture shift that was really the problem. It was never really the X's and O's. Like, it was just the lack of what made us great. You know, we kind of turned our backs on that. You know, the weight program, the nutrition program, for some reason became a little optional under some. And then recruiting got a little bit lazy. It was just all the pieces were there. It just didn't seem to be utilized properly. This is the, the staff. This staff understands the formula that it worked in the 90s and and at the same time know to translate that into the modern day with up-to-date x's and o's they know how to connect with players they know how to use social media they're they're extremely aggressive in getting across the country to see prospects so they they're blending everything and on the top of that they're they're bringing in a walk-on program and making that a competitive position building these guys up through the weight program and churning out you know three or four monsters a year that you know for free so it's it's that's what's exciting you know we're only in year two yep yeah i'll I'll let you guys step down from your your respective soapboxes here for a (laughs) second uh but i mean frost did mention that on on rome is is how important the walk-on program is and maybe it's just simply knowing the, the nebraska way how it was but it's also just having enough care on the program i mean we've had people that were not nebraskans uh running the program for a long time and even if they were um knowledgeable football coaches doesn't mean they actually really knew how to get it done here another way that frost and company is blending use the term blend a couple times there mac is uh transfers and grad transfers and we just got a a big one here this week with uh kwanawali noah i'm I'm totally butchered that name but he's from hawaii a transfer from cal right honky uh what do you know about uh mr noah well we know that he'll be immediately eligible next season and he comes with oh geez i'm i don't have the stats right in front of me but he has over a thousand career receiving yards and there was a i think sam McEwen tweeted out a graph today that basically showed all the returning catches now on the team and you know, 45% of it is Spielman and 35% of it's Noah. And then the last, you know, 20 or so percent is like divided in between 10, 15 guys. But the point was, is that we clearly have, um, you know, we clearly have Spielman with a lot of catches. And then we had a whole, whole bunch of, 
you know, guys that, that don't have a lot of catches coming back. So bringing in Noah, having that second consistent receiver was obviously a, a, a major target point for the, the staff. Yeah, Mac, uh, just from a uh, size perspective, he's six foot, six one, one eighty five. So we have others of that type um, on the roster, but no one with this type of established track record of production. And it sounds like he has a good of hands, some of that can catch in traffic. Yeah. I've heard uh, folks reference uh, Jordan Westerkamp, which would be a, a, a nice fit. What do you What do you think how he fits into the offense? You know, it's funny, Dave. I was thinking about that too. Everybody with the with the Scott Frost offense gets enamored with you know the speed and the quickness and those guys that they you know the the Huskar position and and whatnot. But you can never have enough guys who know exactly where to be at the right time. And I feel like that's the kind of player this kid is. He's he's reliable. He knows to find soft spots and zones. He gets open for his quarterback, and he catches the ball when you throw it to him. Maybe not huge plays, but chain movers. And, you know, that's how you get a tempo team started anyway. You get that first first down, and boom, you start rolling with it. So you get those little those little fuse lighters. And, and you know, I feel like Cade Warner is sort of one of those guys. This guy sort of seems in that same mold to me, maybe a little bit more athletic. But then you blend I like to use that word today. I'm going to use blending <laughs> with a little Wandell. You pepper in a little Ramir Johnson. You go a little uh, a splash of Dedrick Mills, and then you throw in a little uh, what's a little <laughs> zest of of Reese Washington. Go get it. Yeah. Well, and the recipe for success. We, <laughs> this is like Julia Child's like, oh yes, and then you throw in a little Maurice Washington. It's a Scott Frost Caesar salad, man. Now we have been uh, scolded on on. Uh, on a social media for using the husk R uh, by a couple of people. I won't be scolded by the way. I'm not that guy <laughs> <laughs> that, that we're not supposed to call it husk R that it's duck R, but no, I, I really don't care. We're still going to call it husk R. And another guy scolded me because I had the audacity to say, that I think JD Spielman will play some, some husk R. And he's like, boom. And he's like, JD's not going to play that. And I'm like, how, how do he you know that? He absolutely will. He absolutely, he absolutely will. will. There will be, there's a hundred percent chance he gets in that position this year. A hundred percent. But what we have with wide receivers is when we got Noah in here, and when you think of Noah and I think Cade Warner, they kind of provide a little bit of that possession receiver. Yep. Um, when you look at, I'll, I'll say JD. I think Wandell. I think Miles Jones. They're guys that kind of fit oh, yeah. the 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 Huskar role. Doesn't mean that's all they're going to play. They're going to play multiple positions, but. Huskar, they can fit into that. And then I think you can see some other guys that could be real burner dudes, Woodward, yeah. Woodyard and um like Hunt. Guys like that. Yeah. It, Hunt you know, keeps getting talked about like you nice. know, maybe we're sleeping on that guy. Uh, well, Noah is a, a transfer grad transfer. We also got a JUCO transfer uh, not too long ago and Jakeem Green. Uh Hockey, I think we had a mailbag question uh, asking about uh transfers in Nebraska uh history. Yeah, Callie Jeff uh, asked what our top five all-time transfer team would be. Uh, so, yeah, basically best Nebraska players that, that came here from another school. I will, uh, to make it easy, I'll throw out the first one. <laughs> yeah, fire away. I'll start, with, um, yeah. I'll start with Vince Ferragamo. Oh, I thought yeah, that was good. nice of you. Also, also came here from Cal. Okay. So. That's right. Wow. Are, we, are we including guys like Mike Rozier? Or well, that, Rozier because he was a JUCO. He was not JUCO. Count that? So probably not. Transfer. A transfer well, what, is in a. What was so Vince actually played at Cal? Is that right? And then transfer. I believe it, it was two years. I believe Boomer. You might want to double check my. Oh, I know. I know my favorite all time, hands down, no problem. Sam Keller. 
Boom. <laughs> the killer of the NCAA series and the killer of, of, of uh, Bill Callahan's coaching We career. can't have nice things because of Sam Keller. Sam Keller. Dave? That's a good like a one. What do you think? Um, I'm looking here. That's a, this is a really good good question. Uh, I mean, I've, got, yes, another, I've got another one. Played his final or started the final three games of his freshman season at Cal and remained the starter for the following year. So there you go. Okay. I also think there's somebody that came here from Stanford that probably would be a, a pretty good. Yeah, he's an option. Point. Nice. He was one take, choice. Yeah, Frost could be on that. It's true. I've got mine already, so we're good. Go ahead, Boomer. What, what, do you what got? decade, Boomer? Well, if you had to take a guess, what decade would you throw in there? Yeah, the, the 20s. 60s? No, no, heavens no. I don't go for any of that newfangled stuff like the 20s. Heavens no. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. So this is somebody from Doan, like in, uh, in I, 1908. Sort of, yeah. But uh, it's it's an easy one. Uh, this is from Prairie Brush U. Well, uh, Ed Weir. Close enough. Guy, yeah, close Connie, enough guy, to Prairie oh, Brush no, wait, U. No, Guy Chamberlain. Yes, guy Chamberlain correct. came from uh, Westland. Yes, he played several years at oh, Westland yes. before he transferred to the University of Nebraska. And, you know, our biggest first huge player of all time. So, yeah, absolutely. He's got to be on any uh, top five Obviously. all transfer team. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Well, sure. I, I well, didn't know you were going to go for the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> well, well, we already threw out Scott Frost and Ferragamo, so what else are you going to do here? I mean, uh, right. I've got mine Dave? picked out, Honk. Go for it, Dave. Um, I want you to guess. Uh, the name would be familiar, and it involves a school that we have seen a lot of uh, transferring from and to as of recently with Nebraska players. So Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, a player that came from Oregon, from Oregon State. State here. Correct. Hmm. Holy smokes! Get a decade. Uh, well, that would give it. A, well, maybe it wouldn't give it away. Seventies. Uh, oh. Boy, it would, I don't know. Did Jarvis Redwine or Jarvis Redwine played at Oregon State for two years before nice. transferring to Nebraska? Good one. I know that. It's good to know. Guess. Wow. For, he is. Uh, also, uh, the namesake of our family dog. My, I was just going to ask you. Golden Retriever you named Jarvis a... Redwine, uh, who um, you've probably heard uh, on this podcast many times. So I'd have to take Jarvis, yes. Any other honky, just, you, you probably would be the best resource here, maybe Mac too. Other well-known potential transfers, we just named off some, some good ones, but there could be others. Uh, anything else come to mind? Boy, nothing's coming to mind. You know, uh, hit us up on social media, Redcasters, yeah, if you can think of other thing. ones that we're missing. You know, just yeah, let us know. But that's it's an interesting point, though, that we can't just come up with a whole bunch of names, right? I mean, we're all fascinated with this transfer portal, and yet throughout the whole college history, we don't have but maybe a handful of guys that we would put on that on that list. I'd be curious, going especially from Division One to Nebraska. Yeah, and the, well, the JUCO. Up is a different story. Right. Yeah. Totally, it was totally. so much harder, just, you know, in the in the modern era of Nebraska, you know, up until recently to even really transfer. I mean, I suppose it's to be expected. Yeah. Harder and maybe just not the thing that you do either. Now it's just kind of the thing that you do. So it'll be interesting yeah. going forward. We had some great conversations on, on Twitter with uh, Chaz and SoCal over the last week. I'll bring him up a couple times here. But one of the discussions was about transfers, the grad transfers, the transfer portal. And I just mentioned – you know, typically speaking, oh, I think there were people that were trying to argue that uh, Noah had some uh, injury issues at Cal. And and whether he did or didn't, I don't care. My thing was most people, if they're transferring, there's some kind of baggage that comes with them. 
and baggage or just a circumstance that didn't wasn't just, ideal for the well, play. That's exactly what Chaz and SoCal responded was that some guys, you know, you have a coaching change or something happens. And there's a circumstance. Point is, most people don't transfer unless something unless something's going wrong, right? If everything's going great, you don't transfer. One one example that maybe fits outside of that an outlier would be Darian Daniels I was just right now say Darian Daniels hopefully will be on that list you don't get yeah I think I think if we have this same conversation in a year Dave Darian Daniels could be one of those guys because we're talking about a guy who's been a captain at a power five program like Oklahoma State and making the transfer here not because something was going wrong but just because he wanted to play with his brother so the motivations there and everything. I mean, this could he could be a guy that an example of a, a transfer that could be. Do a, you guys, a great I don't fit. know what the depth is on the Oklahoma State defensive line, or how well they performed in his absence last year after his his hand injury. Did you feel like if he was at on the roster this year down in Stillwater, he'd be starting for Oklahoma State? No, yes. no questions. Without a doubt, yeah. Gundy. I read an article where Gundy even talked about how you don't. You know, just find 325 pound guys on the, you know, just, you know, anywhere. And that it was a, definitely a loss. And I even want to say, I think the same article I read, I think they lost one other guy oh, to wow. a transfer that was on the D line. So they were particularly hurt hard by the uh, transfer portal that way. It isn't like a Trey Neal situation where, you know, last year he was not going to be a starter for UCF, which, right. you know, for that's okay. You know, we needed him for different things. He, he definitely provided something. But yeah, this is a guy who was. You know, probably all conference potential. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, hockey. I know you've been very active on social media, even though you weren't following what Boomer was referencing earlier. Um, <laughs> Neither was anyone else. Special. No, yeah, neither. <laughs> no <laughs> one. So don't worry. It's fine. But, no um, one has any idea what he was talking. Probably about. a Game of Thrones thing or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you did have a, some interaction with uh, a very famous Nebraska alumni uh, with uh, Dave Remington, right? With uh, regarding. Uh, uh, under center snaps. Yeah, well, we've had this conversation for going on two years now. Ever since, they, basically, ever since Frost was hired, I think one of the very first shows I mentioned that right now we don't have a fullback, and right now we're exclusively shotgun. That that was kind of what what Frost was going to bring from UCF. But I made the statement at the time, and I'll, I'll stand by this, and we'll only know over time if it's true or not. But I think as Frost adapts to the to the Big Ten. Which will never happen. Well, the Big Ten's going to adapt to us. It's going to change to us. But he's also going to make little changes, and, and that means getting under center at times. And I will never be shocked if we see the fullback again because of recruiting area and everything. I, I think there's a place. If you have an Andy Janovich sitting out there in Nebraska, don't tell me we're not going to take him. And can we find ways to, to, to incorporate that style of player into the offense? But, but let's not hit that one right now. Let's hit the under center part. Right. I asked the question to Dave Remington. The question was also asked on Husker Max, and, and that's what one of the things that got me thinking about asking Remington. He follows us on Twitter, so I was like, well, throw it out there, and sure enough, he asked. So I asked him, um, there's been some talk about whether in you should incorporate under center in the offense because it's in the Big Ten. What are your thoughts on how difficult or not this would be on a young center next season? And Remington's response was, I'm a believer in having the, the QB under center in short yardage and goal line. QB under center allows the center to get more weight forward in his stance and makes it easier to fire off the ball for more vertical movement. But it needs to be practiced live when the quarterback and center are under duress. So to that point. I think that last statement is the biggest part of that whole, you know, 
Well, comment. And it needs to be practiced under duress. It's one of those things that if it's part of your identity, then yep. it's part of your identity. I don't feel like it's a sprinkle in thing. No. And last year, it was a little bit of a sprinkle in thing because people might forget we lined up under center three or four times last year and never really well. <laughs> but it was just times that were like, there were short yardage situations, didn't really work real well. And I think it's that under duress thing. But the reason I bring up the question, too, is because you can look at Purdue and Northwestern, other Big Ten schools that are spread teams, and they didn't just line up under center a couple of times. They actually got in eye formations even. There were short yard situations where those teams did that. So I'm all I'm saying is that I'm not even saying it's going to happen this year, but no one's going to convince me that that's not something that we could eventually see out of this offense as we continue to adapt to this this conference sure yeah that's interesting uh all right uh hockey what else do we have football wise before we move on anything well i mentioned Chaz and socal and i thought he he brings up a lot of really good stuff if you get a chance follow him on twitter you know um he posts a lot of videos from the the spring games and from past games and and he's always asking questions and you know x's and o's questions but uh, he brings up a couple of, of interesting topics here. One of them, Dave, you were earlier talking about the wide receiver position as we were talking about Noah coming here. And we're, Chaz has talked about the height at wide receiver. And he said just looking at Coach Frost's wide receivers in the past at Oregon and UCF, he brought out guys like Darren Carrington, who was 6'2", and Dwayne Stanford at Oregon, who was 6'5", and Daryl Hawkins, who was 6'4". Big, tall dudes. At UCF, there's a couple of guys that were six feet and taller. So the fact that... We don't have that yet on this offense, but looking forward, what will this offense look like in year, you know, a year, two, three years from now? We could definitely start to try to see some height. They tried to do that a little bit with McGriff last year. Obviously, he didn't stick around, but there is there's room in this offense to try to get a, a height receiver. Yeah, Mac. I mean, didn't we have someone on our our hot hot list, uh, top of the board this year, wide receiver wise? We didn't get that. Was one of those guys. Honestly, Dave, I don't, I don't remember if we did or not. Oh, the guy I'm from sure New Jersey. Did. I mean, the, the guy from New Jersey that we uh, six four, big guy. Yeah. I'm sure, sure we could look this up for the and, 19 class or for the 20 yeah, yeah, just class. in this last class. Yeah. Okay. And he he would have well, he would have been in the February signing. I think it was in January. I think we to UCLA maybe instead. Yeah, just it just you're probably right. It's just yeah. I mean, the point is, mind, but. I guess my point is, uh, we'll find the name point is is that we've been actively recruiting these guys over the last yep. two years we just haven't really landed the guy that we wanted for that and that's that's the trick I mean hopefully this year will be um, the time that we start to it build that get, roster it, position it, they seem to be a hard visit for us to get it that we can we can land or or at least get visits from the you know five ten to six one guys that are speed <laughs> demons all day long but that big receiver that tall receiver is is a a difficult one for us to kind of get to, but I do think the height we have at tight end yeah. might might mitigate some of the some of the need for that tall wide receiver, and that's something that you know as you talk about an evolution of an offense and getting under center, I feel like the tight end is that is where this offense maybe evolves to suit the Big Ten as mm-hmm. versus the American Conference uh, sure. in terms of size and, and power and force. Oh Boomer. yeah, Boomer, do you have a name on that guy I was thinking of? 
Yeah, I think it was it uh, Charles. Was it Nyoku or Joku? Najuka. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah that was bro- was from, uh, his brother's the tight end with the Browns. Or yeah, whatever. that's it. Yeah, that's Joku. the one. But uh, there's your point. I mean, his brother's the tight end. I mean, but yeah, that height is what we're looking for, and at some point it's going to land. And maybe it's just our tight ends are providing that. We have some very athletic, tall tight ends that that yeah. could be playing that role. So, and you um, know, who knows too that, that I mentioned the fullback thing earlier, and I don't want to go down this this rabbit hole because that will take us. Uh, you know, a while, but a tight end could transition us maybe someday to a fullback. I mean, getting tight ends in the backfield, big bodied guys, H back kind of players. Um, If anyone, if anyone can, if anyone can incorporate into this offense, it's frost. That's, that's my thing. This isn't knocking the fact that frost isn't using it. It's, it's talking about frost from a visionary standpoint that he can look at what's going on. He can assess the current conference situation and say, Okay, where are we strong and where are we lacking? And 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 if if he feels we don't have enough push, if he feels like we aren't you know a good enough uh, you know goal line offense running the ball, he'll find ways to make that happen. Sure. No, I agree. Um, right. Another another thing that that Chaz talked about here. This is a, a running uh, part of the running game here is the fumble stats from last year, and this is fascinating. And Boomer, I thought I thought you'd like this too because you're such a stats guy. But he said the Huskers lost two fumbles the first ten snaps of the season, and then they lost nine fumbles the rest of the year, which is 858 remaining snaps. So I mean, you think about that. We had 11 total fumbles. Two of them happened in the first ten snaps, and the last nine happened in the last 858. So he 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 mentioned it like think missing the Akron game hurt early. Um, I'm not even going to go into the Akron part of it. I'm just looking at it from an improvement standpoint. Some of it being not having Greg Bell, who you know was one of those fumbles. No heart. <laughs> <laughs> but as the season went on, I mean, you talk about improvement. Wow, that stat's clear as day. Um, yeah, big impact. Obviously, there's no question about that. And one other thing I saw on Twitter that I want to bring up this this talks with the uh, the passing game, and we've mentioned in the past. You know, is how complete of a quarterback is Martinez? Is he, you know, he should be an All-American guy, and some people say yes or no and all that stuff. Greg McElroy, which he was, what, the Alabama QB, Dave, right? Yep, that's correct. Okay, champion. so he, he tweeted out that Adrian Martinez completed 47% of his passes thrown over five yards downfield. His completion percentage was inflated by the 111 attempts he made at or behind the line of scrimmage. And then um, McElroy went on to say, I expect a big jump from him this year. He's going to be a good player. I think some Husker fans on online maybe got a little ticked at thinking that he was calling out Martinez. But, I mean, we look at that and we say that's that's a really good critique of where Martinez was a year ago and where he can you know improve. What? You know, we talked about this before the show, but even hearing that again, I'm even irritated a little bit more by it. You know, those, those throws <laughs> behind the line of scrimmage, those can be 30-yard balls across the field that he puts perfectly in front of a guy to catch. That's not a throwaway reception. Those, those, those are – they might not be reading coverage, but it's a good throw and catch. But I think what he's – No, yeah, I'm, I'm I, just saying. I think what he <laughs> – maybe Mac is, Mac is one of the Husker fans online that was upset that. No, I'm looking at it from the, percent, from the fact of that he completed 47% of his passes over five yards. That's clearly an area that, that – that's an area that, that he can improve, Certainly. right? I mean, can Martinez complete 55 or Let 60% of his – deeper throws yeah let me ask that question I'm, I'm obviously of all the quarterback ratings uh passing completion percentage 
uh, is often inflated by the shorter throws, right, Mac? I mean, like, I would, you know, NFL guys well, hit 70%, but and you're always too. hitting way lower. Uh, and you need to hit all of your stuff, um, 500, essentially. You should be hitting 90% of those, right? And so what's a good uh, percentage of completion five yards and past? I mean, is it is it 60%? Is it 55%? I don't even know oh, what it's, would it's be a definitely, reasonable... It, it should definitely be in the 60 percentile. I don't think just. I mean, unless we're talking... There's plus five, and then there's plus fifteen, right? So between the plus five and fifteen, it's got to be well in the sixties, I think, for this offense to operate. You know, you start talking longer than you know forty percent is probably, you know, a reasonable expectation. But you know, so fifteen beyond, you'd be starting to see that number go down. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's the five to fifteen. Absolutely. Yeah, you're really. Yeah, you're. you're, because those numbers also get skewed because those are your into the half jump balls that you're throwing deep, you know, and those just, sure. you know they're fifty fifty balls half the time, you know. So, the, but the other point about that too is that you know the the five yards and less passes. There's different ways to receive those and different ways to catch those that are momentum maintaining throws, and then the ones where the guy has to go up and grab it, and then they end up losing a yard. So that's the one of the things that I felt like last year Martinez was really good at, but still an area that he can he can really refine this year to keep this offense moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Stop, catches are stop. important in this offense. When you're hands when, catches and in, in within the sequence of the play is so key. When you're a tempo offense, a thing that kills tempo is putting the ball on the ground, dropping it and stopping the clock and having to, to start from scratch, keeping the ball also, moving horrible snaps, which is why centers <laughs> play is a big one. Everything, everything is about, yeah, everything's about flow, right? I mean, it starts from the snap and it's, and and there's a lot of passes where it's not the play isn't necessarily called a short pass. I mean there are they have different combos and different you know different route you know calls that they run where where there's always an outlet receiver on the side and, and hitting him is going to be a part of this offense no matter how deep we go into the into the next couple of years. But but um, but to his point, can he get better than forty seven percent over five yards? I think we all think he can. Okay. Um, Probably to, to close out football here, uh, the football segment, uh, we had a couple of Twitter polls, and I'm not going to go deep into them here. One of them was the we did a greatest uh, of all time at each position, quarterback, running back, and so on at Nebraska, because um, I'm very clever and original, and that's never been done on Twitter before. So I thought that would be something <laughs> something unique. But we had over three, really. Yeah, we had over three thousand votes on it, and and to be honest with you, every single position it was clear as day. There was always pretty much a a clear-cut winner who was the best at each position. So I'm not even going to go through each one of them. The only one I'll go through is quarterback. And T. Frazier won it with like 81% of the votes. I mean, it wasn't even close. But I didn't include Crouch. And that probably that, probably, probably shouldn't. Well, <laughs> your, what were your, your options then? Your li- okay, you're limited to four in Twitter, obviously, on a poll. Yep. And so in my mind, I went through, I said, there's three quarterbacks that have won titles. So I'm going to put Taggy. I'm going to put Frazier. And I'm going to put frost up there without even thinking twice about it and then that fourth spot crouch was one of the got one of the options the other one was gill to me so i put gill gill went 28 and 2 played in two national cha- or a national championship game and you know obviously two point conversion but also had the the 82 season i mean unbelievable transformed our offense coach crouch i mean everything that gill but and and how much how much you put into a high I know how much you put into Heisman. That was, yeah. (laughs) You know what, though, would be a good pull now is like, okay, take everybody out that won. Who's the all-time second team? 
Now let's get to let's get down to brass tacks. <laughs> <laughs> the other Twitter poll that we had, um, it was based off of uh, Adam Carricker's. It does the Carricker Chronicles, and he was just simply asked. Uh, he asked whether or not Iowa is a legit rivalry, and so out of the Big Ten teams, who would you most like to see in you play on Black Friday? And with over a thousand votes, uh, Iowa just edged out Wisconsin. Iowa was fifty percent. Wisconsin was forty five percent. Minnesota was only two percent. And then other was three, and we had people saying we should be playing Oklahoma on Black Friday, and uh, they have to be reminded that they're not in our conference. That does add a <laughs> but, so Iowa, to it all, yeah. So. Yeah, but Iowa did did edge them out. So how I very guess. Iowa of them. I, Iowa <laughs> yeah. did. By the way, Iowa, Iowa did one. get uh, Iowa did get on one of those off season uh, lists. You know that that you see all the time. There's always a list of top ten this, top that. There was a list from I think it was like College Football Hype today, and it was of uh, how many Division One teams had have had a winless record in a season since like 1970, and Iowa was one of them. So congratulations, hey. all guys! <laughs> all right, very good, very good. Good job, yeah, fellers. Right. In fact, you know the Big Ten was actually oh, well represented on that list. I am, so yeah. good job all around. That was a yeah. good job. Good job, yeah. Iowa. We're very proud of you. List mania. Uh, all right, guys, uh, let's call that a uh, football segment. We'll be back with some basketball. Nebraskaball. All right, fellas, we're back and talking Nebraskaball. Uh, we need to probably rename that segment with Fred Horberg now as the, the mayor in town, right, guys? But um, until we can get creative, we'll just keep on calling it Nebraskaball. Uh, speaking of uh, Fred, he, he also had some national media, uh, similar to Scott Frost uh, in the last uh week or so i think andy katz interviewed them interviewed him and it was kind of interesting andy kind of was uh apologizing to nebraska fans he flat out said he did not think that uh bill moose could pull off this hire for with fred horberg so i thought that was pretty interesting um besides that i mean you know fred gave the whole explanation of why he chose nebraska and part of the family but also the facilities and his, his true belief that he thinks he can get it done here, you know, and I think that um, is resonating with uh, the national media. So, uh, Honky, you got a question? Well, I'll ask this to you, Dave. This I'm just going to throw out a quick mailbag question we had from sure. Twitter Rat, and he asked if the Michigan job opened up at the same time as Nebraska since uh, Beeline, it was announced that he's going to the Cavaliers. Um, but if the Michigan job opened up at the same time, based off of that Cats interview, who does uh, Hoiberg pick? Who who do you think? That's a great question. Uh, and, and Boomer, uh, please jump in here too. I think uh, Balin was the highest or second highest paid Big Ten coach, so he was getting a little bit more money than, than Hoiberg. So it's reasonable to think that Fred might have gotten more money from Michigan and obviously a much better roster and recruiting position. But all the Nebraska stuff doesn't change at all. And the reality is Hoiberg probably took Nebraska over potential other opportunities. It wasn't like he was just limited to Nebraska when he chose us. So I still would say he picks Nebraska because of those family ties. That'd be my take. Boomer? Yeah, that's a tough question. Uh, You kind of covered the reasons that you'd consider picking both. I mean, of course, he's not going to say he just he picked Nebraska because it was, you know, quick, easy job. And what the hell, we're paying him a lot of money for no, you know, for very little output we're expecting, but uh, yeah, you're not going to say yeah. that. Yeah, but we do have great facilities. Uh, I'm not super familiar with Michigan's basketball facilities there, but in Michigan, they could probably have a nice facilities if they wanted to. You know, they've got the money. They're you know, big power schools, so 
Uh, who knows? Expectations very yeah, different yeah, there, the though. He's essentially praying for a national higher, championship. You know, and but you do have that easy recruiting base. Your roster probably wouldn't need a complete turnover the way ours apparently does. So it probably wouldn't be a, an easy decision. Yeah, it depends just how much you want to come back home to the Nebraska area versus how much you want to probably have a easier roster management but higher expectations. Well, yeah, I, it's 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 a tough call. As you mentioned that, Boomer, I think that even reinforces my thought that he would still choose Nebraska. Again, the family ties with his grandfathers, et cetera, don't change. And the reality is he already flipped a roster beforehand, right, Honky? I mean, when he was hired mm-hmm. at Iowa State and we were on this when it when it happened, he you look at that Iowa State turnover, essentially he did the exact same thing. He cleared house and in probably got rid of some some fine players, uh, but then brought in an entirely new roster within really year one and then ultimately year two because some of those guys had to sit out. And and we didn't know it would happen exactly the same way, but the reality is he's done it the exact same way. And he wouldn't have had to do that in Michigan, but maybe there's advantages to flipping a roster this way. You completely change the culture. You're going to bring players in that fit your system 100%, and have bought into that system, and you don't have any of that um, hangover from the previous coach. And um, as as difficult it is to see, to see some of this roster changes occur, and Honky, maybe you can talk about that from a, a longtime Nebraska fan that has never probably seen this, and it's hard to really wrap your hands around um, how this has uh, occurred. But this, in the long run, might be the absolute best way to to take over a program, and he wouldn't have been able to do that at Michigan. He'd be inheriting a program there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think we've hit on all the, the major components of it. You talk about the expectation difference between Michigan and, and Nebraska. I think that's an advantage to us. Nobody wants to take over after a legend in any sport. That is almost always a recipe for disaster. Osborne talked about that uh, following up for Devaney. He knew the the odds were against him to actually have success, and he is he's kind of the outlier in, in this discussion. So – Whoever is going to be taking over for Beeline, uh, you know, good luck to them. But just the fact that we're having a conversation about a Nebraska basketball coach and 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 comparing Nebraska and Michigan, or Nebraska and some of the other schools that that Hoiberg would have been able to uh, to you know get his foot in the door and be able sure. to, to be the head coach UCLA and wherever. I mean, my goodness, I can't believe we're talking about Nebraska basketball. That that's I think a, a huge a huge step in in the right direction there, but. As we talk about some of the, tra- the roster transition that's happened here in the last couple of weeks, I, it just it's blowing my mind, and it it is hard. To your point, Dave, you know they, they had to make some tough decisions. Carrington Davis, Amir Harris, they were both basically asked not to come back. Uh, the tough one with Brady Hyman, that's an in-state kid. Not you know I'm a big in-state guy, but I'll tell you what, if you're not going to fit this offense and fit the fit the scheme the scheme that we're playing. The NCAA allows coaches in the first year of a transition allows coaches to basically remove you from the team. Now you can you still stay on scholarship. You could sit. Brady Hyman could stay at Nebraska and be be a a scholar, you know, or uh, just a student, and he can be on scholarship. But it wouldn't count. He wouldn't be on the team. It wouldn't count against the athletic program or anything. So the point is, the player is not out. And I think one of the things I think uh, Terry Pettit, former volleyball coach tweeted something out kind of about this, about is this a good thing or bad thing right. that coaches can do this. And, and my response to him was, 
as long as the, the player still is allowed to be on scholarship, which they can happen, that, that happens right away. And the other thing is, as long as the NCAA allows them an immediate transfer and eligibility immediately, and that I don't know about, and that's an NCAA question. Right. But, you know, Brady Hyman should be allowed to play somewhere immediately next year. That that would be my that would be my only other thing I, I hope would happen. But the point is, I think this is the right thing for coaches to be able to do when they come in and, and there's a transition. I think they should be able to 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 create a roster that it's not being mean to cut a kid. Yeah, you know? I'm I'm really interested. I'm I'm a little surprised by the local media in the sense that they've been relatively supportive of this and saying, "Hey, this is, you know, a wake-up call, but this is probably for the for the best." I, I kind of expected at least one of them to take a, a little bit more negative tone on it. Um and to be clear here, to add some some clarity to the conversation, what Fred Hoiberg is doing here is is a, a first year coach can be allowed to to manage his roster in this nature, and so this is his one shot to ask Carrington Davis or Amir Harris or Brady Hyman to not return, um, to to move on. Whereas um, if he would not do it right now, let's say. You know, just from a roster manager standpoint, you, you may not be able to get enough scholarship players, whether that's through the, the grad transfer or the transfer portal or the JUCO ranks, to fill up a roster next year. So why not keep Amira Harris or Brady Hyman for one more year, right? Well, once this period is over, it's no longer in Fred Hoiberg's hands whether they have a scholarship or not. They have a four-year scholarship to the University of Nebraska, and it's up to them whether they want to leave or not. And so uh, there's a situation there where Brady Hyman could have said, you know, Coach, um, uh, I, I really want to stay. And Fred's like, you know, you're a Nebraska kid. I'm going to let you stay here, even though I, I'm just telling you, Brady, I don't think you're going to see any playing time. And you don't really even fit well enough in our system be, to, to really a good, be a good practice player, right? And he's like, I don't care. I want to be on this team. Fred's like, okay, well, now we're, Brady Hyman's going to be there for as long as he wants to be. And that not only impacts Brady Hyman's college career because he may never, ever see the court ever again, it then impacts our roster numbers for several years down the yep. road. And so and this is an opportunity for Hoiberg to kind of clear the house and then leave essentially roster space for future classes because of it. So Yeah, and when, when you only have 13 positions or scholarships to begin with on a team, having one or two players that are with you for three or four years that aren't great fits can be that, that can be a real detriment to you. If you look at the the roster right now, and this is just a crazy amount of roster movement, it's hard to keep up with all the new players. But when you look at the breakdown right now of freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, they are perfectly at three each at each class right now. We have three freshmen for next year: Cola Rop, and I'm going to butcher this name, but the Yvonne Quadrago, whatever the we'll call him Drago, Drago guy from France. Kevin Cross, he's the the six eight six nine guy from uh, Little Rock. Those he are the two most announced. recent uh, additions. Just those over the two weekend, most recent ones. So a ro- you have a rope, and then you have the the French kid, and then you have uh, Cross. Those are three freshmen that are scholarship. There's three sophomores: Cameron Mack, the point guard transfer from Utah, uh, Delano Banton, and he's the transfer I think from Western Kentucky. And he's the only out. kid right now. The only kid that we're going to talk about that is not eligible next season. Everyone else is eligible to play. The next one, Shamil Stevenson, he is the one that uh, there may need to be a waiver to allow him to play in the right away, but he's right. at least eligible by, by December, but he might not be able to play that, that first semester 
worth of games, but he's the transfer, what, 6'6", from uh, um, Nevada via Pitt, basically. Yeah, Pittsburgh via Nevada, how I described it. There you go. But that's three sophomores. There's three juniors. Deshaun Burke, the guy who sat out last year, and he was Robert Morris transfer, I believe, from a year ago. Uh, Gervais Green, he's the junior college kid from Western Community College in in, uh, uh, Scott's Bluff. And then Thor is one of the only returning players from last year. He'll be the only returning player likely that played minutes last year. That's right. Unless one of the three seniors, being Isaiah Roby, who, as we know, is in the NBA Combine right now. Then you have Hanif Cheatham, who is the transfer from Florida Gulf Coast via – Wait, no. If you want to do the via via Florida Gulf Coast. Thank you very much. And then Monte Cavas, who I thought that name was going to be impossible to say, but – is quite easier than some of the other guys now that are on the on the uh, the list. So the point is, to your the reason I went through that whole exercise of, of saying all the people was that to your point, Dave, about getting roster management down. These guys they haven't just filled out a roster; they have a roster now of three guys at every single uh, you know classification on the team, each class. Which even that's amazing to, for them to yeah, have been able to, to pull that off in a month. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there are there are years where like you know we've had previous coaches that would have like five seniors and and one junior. You know, I mean, it was all over the place, and so it it required having to make some hard decisions, get rid of some kids, do all that. You're getting the guys that are going to fit your system, but they're also setting themselves up for you know some consistency now for the next year and the next year after that with just how their classes break down. Yeah, no, I it's really interesting. And it's an amazing thing to watch. I've never seen Nebraska fans following uh, basketball recruiting so closely, too. It's just odd to see this, right? Uh, some of the message boards you guys are on, I'm sh- uh, like rivals, you know, they'll, they'll ask them a question and they re- they'll respond because they think it's a football question. But like, no, it's like the basketball center, not like the football center, right? You know, it's just like um, some of these, these guys, uh, like the local media and whatnot, are just, just like swimming in this all of a sudden. And it is an interesting experience. Yeah, it's it's great. And that uh, Robin Washut or Washut is that uh, he does a great job for rivals. I mean, he's, I mean, I, of all the basketball guys out there, I we love listening and following him. Um, one thing I, I'm a little astonished with, and Dave, you brought this up. We were very early on, like I think the very first show that we talked about Hoiberg, we immediately jumped into what he did at Iowa State. We talked about that first offseason. They had a roster flip of about nine or ten players. So, yep. to be quite honest, while we are astonished at the unbelievable success that, that this staff has been able to do what they've done, we're not shocked by it. I mean, the, no. they had already kind of had the – they laid the framework of what they wanted to do, you know, at their previous stop. So, this isn't shocking to us that they're doing it. It's just shocking to us that they're, they're doing it this well. Yeah, I mean, look at the guy, the last two guys they got, 6'9", 240, or 6'8", 240, 6'9", 260, I think Drago is. Drago's 17, he looks like he's 34. He and should be an action you. film of some sort. I mean, it's just, it's maybe they should be playing tight end too. I don't know, we've got multi-sport athletes here. But, um, yeah, the, the you know, we, we had a long ways to go here. I think the questions are, how do you mill a roster like this together in a very few short months? Uh, the Europe trip is going to help that immensely, but um, you don't have that team chemistry. Um, you're going to see some hiccups in this team. You're also going to maybe see some really uh, amazing games where they really come together, play well, 
and mm-hmm. um, produce a, a, an impressive performance. So it's probably going to be fits and starts a little bit, but I think they might round into shape um, as uh, the season goes on. Yeah, it'll be fun. We're not going to do it tonight, but it'll be fun to get into some conversations later on about expectations for next year because this is such a unique and different type of team that's being put together. But it'll be it'll be fun to kind of talk about expectations for next season and beyond. I do want to ask one question here. Boomer, this goes to you as well. Mac, I think, is sleeping right now. Um, the NCAA <laughs> Rules Committee is in the – they're proposing moving the three-point line back to international distance. So I don't think it's – nothing's official yet, but they're proposing that that happens. And obviously we've talked in the past – about how that's such a bigger part of, of the college game now. Hoiberg's offenses definitely shoot a lot of threes. So curious if that proposal goes through and the three-point line does get moved back to the international distance, which is about one more foot, you know, how does that change things? Uh, I'll let Boomer go first. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much it's going to change a lot. I mean, it seems half the time guys are taking three-point shots from, you know, three feet behind the line anyway. And uh, I, with the NBA, I think they were considering doing that as well. Did I hear that the other day as well? NBA is already I, farther back. To yeah, I think they were so. considering international, you know, as well too. I wasn't sure if they were, but uh, huh. yeah, I don't think it'll change things as much as we think it would. To be totally honest with you, I, I think it would only help an offense like uh, Fred Hoiberg's because it's going to open up the court more, right? You're going to have more space there because you have to defend further out as long as you have the shooters to make the shots. So, And to Boomer's point, they're taking them well beyond that arc anyway. So I don't think it's a big difference. That'd be my good. Take. Cool. All right, anything else on basketball? Like you said, the roster is changing immensely. We still may see a little bit. I think it's probably going to slow down here. Uh, some of the guys that visited earlier uh, who or potential sit-out transfers, I think we may still still have land one one or two more guys, but I'd also see they could just hold these roster spots open. Uh, they do have enough walk-ons, et cetera, to, to move forward with the, the roster they have. So, huh? Yeah, and, and I do want to real quickly, you mentioned walk-on. Charlie Easley, the kid from yeah. Pius, and then Jace Piatkowski as well. I mean, that name should be familiar to people. But, I mean, that's that's something as we're talking about – all the talent that's being brought in, we've got Donovan Williams a year from now. They're definitely going after the kids from uh, Omaha that are two years from now. There's in-state kids. It's not like they just got rid of Brady Hyman and, and that's it for you yeah, know, any of the progress. Yeah, we should have in-state kids on this roster for a long time. Oh, like, yeah, any of the I progress mean, that Miles you know, Miles started to, to, to make with the inroads in-state, you know, it's not like that's gone all of a sudden. Now, I mean, this staff is, is going to incorporate these players in, and we're going to get – in-state kids that fit the style more, the scheme yep. more. And, and you know, I, mean, I don't want to call out any of the existing players. I think they were actually – I liked Amir Harris and and um, Nana Kenton and, and uh, et cetera, Tom Allen in particular who went to NC State. But I think Allen at NC State is probably the exception to the rule here in the sense that I think he's, he's found a, a Power 5 high-profile landing spot but I think Amir Harris is already committed to George Washington. Did I see that? Is that correct? And, um, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that we're going to see all of our guys go land in, in big Power 5 name-recognized programs. Uh, they're going to find a spot on a roster in a, maybe a mid-major, et cetera. And, and, I mean, that's some of the talent that Tim Miles was working with here, right? And so um, 
I think it'll be interesting to, to see how this team plays this year coming up compared to what we've seen. It's going to be a drastic difference. Around the Van Horn. All right, guys. Around the Van Horn, uh, Nebraska baseball was on life support after Friday night's game versus Arizona State. Um, since we last did a, a red cast, they had a disastrous weekend versus Northwestern, and things were looking grim. They had fell, fallen out of the projections uh, for the NCAA tournament. Friday did not look any better. They got routed by Arizona State. Um, but uh, they kept on fighting and had a big victory on Saturday, went 1-2-1, and then won on Sunday and actually won the series versus a, a very good Arizona State team who's a, a top you know, four team in the Pac-12 and a team that actually had won 21 straight games to start the season. So suddenly, uh, Nebraska baseball, we haven't seen the new projections out this week by the different websites and whatnot, but are, are likely on the right side of the bubble again. And they have a huge weekend series coming up versus Michigan starting on Thursday. That's on BTN, I think all three games, uh, if not mistaken. So, That's correct. So, Honky, hey, are you going to the games or watching the games on TV, hopefully? I'm definitely, you know, Boomer, Mac, guys here, I was, I'm definitely planning to go to one of those games, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. So, we should definitely try to try to make Michigan? one if we can. Yeah, against I'll Michigan. Game. I'll be at that game. You oh, you're that working game. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting, Nebraska sitting, I think, in third place. Tied for third with Illinois, even though uh, Illini probably have a tiebreaker on us because of that difficult Sunday loss we lost to them at a home on. Indiana in second. Michigan is in first place. Michigan did lose to Indiana uh, two of three over the weekend. Sunday's game, they were able to salvage a Sunday victory there that kept them in first place. And so they are playing for first place. Indiana's playing Rutgers, I believe, Boomer. Correct. Maybe you have the yeah, schedule in, in front. Yeah. Uh, Illinois has Michigan State, yep. I believe. Correct. And so uh, all those teams, uh, including Nebraska, if I guess I suppose if everything fell properly, could potentially uh, win the regular season title. Minnesota's pretty much right there too, actually. So Nebraska likely would fall anywhere between second and seventh potentially in the Big Ten uh, tournament. Um, probably likely a, a, a three or a four, but. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I, I think, you know, we know we have at least five games left here, three versus Michigan at home, and then the two games and a double elimination in the Big Ten tournament at TD Ameritrade. And hopefully if you win one of those or two, you, you, you obviously advance. Going two and one versus Michigan, like we just did versus Arizona State, would probably make you very comfortable that you are on the right side of the bubble, um, even with a, a average Big Ten tournament maybe only going one and two or whatnot. Go one and two against Michigan, then you think you may have a little more work to do in Omaha to make sure in the tournament. Regardless, it's disappointing that they, they are still in the bubble. They, they had chances earlier this year. It's amazing the game of inches in baseball, right, Boomer? I mean, look at uh, the, the Iowa series, the Minnesota series, which we lost in a game in extra innings, the Illinois loss on Sunday, it, there were so many opportunities. The lost games we had that we didn't play versus Mississippi State. But the reality is, is the Erstad formula, if you will, in Big Ten is to have a really strong non-conference and then play well enough in the Big Ten play to make the tournament. And it appears that it's going to work again. Yeah, uh, I think you hit it right. Uh, Nebraska was on life support, too, and after that Friday game, uh, they were coming off what? How many series in a row had they lost? Was that... 
because they'd lost Northwestern, Illinois, Iowa, and Three. yeah, it was Penn State before that. So yeah, they won that one. But uh, you lose that, yeah, 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 with some midweek losses too. Yeah, with, mid, with midweek Creighton. losses yeah, too in there. I mean, so the momentum was bad. I mean, there was no question. I mean, if you lose that Saturday game to Arizona State, lose that series. You know, you can pretty well mail in, I think, the rest of the year. I think that probably just cripples you, you know, mentally. And, you know, so much of baseball is a mental game. You know, like I say, it's a game of inches. And just that attitude makes such a big difference in that. So you had a complete turnaround there. You you have a good win against a Pac-12 team. It's, you know, good for the conference, good for Nebraska. You know, makes that look strong. And, you know, finish up with Michigan here. Again, you can't fool around with it. You know, you just can't assume you're going to beat Michigan. They're a solid team and playing pretty well. So... Should be able to get them, you know, like you said, just a, you know, yeah. two wins and against Michigan think, would be great, and that should, you know, put you solidly in a good regional and uh, see what you can do at that point. But uh, yeah, drop all three to Michigan, and yeah, that's not that's not what you want. So yeah, some of the most promising things I've seen out of Nebraska over the last couple of weeks, Illinois series as well as as Arizona State is uh, finally the bats are starting to produce a little bit. We still. Uh, had some low-scoring games. They were 2-1 on Saturday, for example. But um, we definitely have been producing a little bit better in the clutch, scoring with runners in position. We did that on Sunday versus Arizona State several times. A little more power. Had a three-run homer. And so those are starting to, to add up. It should be warm in Lincoln, right, over the yes, weekend? Yes, yeah, it's starting uh, to be feel so, summery now. Yeah. You're right, and that, that helps the ball fly out, so it should be interesting to watch. I think another thing interesting to watch will be on Thursday night is Waldron pitching. Seems like he's really struggled the last three or four outings, and he is um, missing his spots and uh, is getting a little too easy to, to predict. And so that's that's going to be a challenge to see how we can, if we could get out and score on Michigan on Friday and, and maybe win a higher scoring affair, that would bode well for the rest of the weekend um, because it feels like it seems like. Uh, Fisher and Eddins on the back end on the rotation are still doing quite well and are, are relatively reliable overall. So, yeah, We don't have a midweek game this week, do we, Dave? No, we okay. haven't had one in several weeks, yeah. actually. Yeah, okay. And it's a, little, it's a funky sc- scheduling scenario here in the sense that um, they they had a series where we had a, a the Northwestern game, I believe we played on a Monday because of finals week. Oh, so that's we were right. a short rest, essentially, for last week. Uh, even though it was a regular Friday through Sunday, and then we have this series Thursday through Saturday, so it's short rest again, actually. Yeah, I, so, I, I saw Michigan played Kentucky tonight and lost, so they're going to be on very short rest for that. Yeah, yeah, that's in well, I'm Kentucky's good, so right. I, I think anyway it's SEC. But the um, I mean they they probably were definitely not pitching anybody who they expect to have significant. No, I think I threw a couple of innings there, Dave. So <laughs> well. If that game was played at Michigan, it would have been in front of dozens of fans. I, I yeah. want to knock for a second. I got to throw two two awards out for for crappy uh, job done, and that would be on <laughs> on Michigan fans for like literally three people were in the the stadium against Indiana at home. You know, right? A come very on. good Indiana team. Yeah, yeah. And and the next one is the BTN. I mean, my my God, the, the game got done against Arizona State. And they were just doing like a baseball recap on Sunday. It's like, well, you know, here's Michigan, Indiana, and then uh, Nebraska beat Arizona State. And they like talked about it for three seconds and showed a couple of things, and then they moved on to you know that thrilling 
Indiana or Illinois Purdue game or something. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, care, give a crap about baseball for a second. Yeah. You, you have a team in your conference that just won a series against one of the top Pac-12 schools, a top 25 team. Act like it. Treat it like that's a big win. That was a huge win for the conference that that uh, Nebraska did. That that was big for that's big for everything because I mean it's it, that can be the difference between a conference like the Big Ten getting three and four teams in. Yeah, you know no, you a, have to have non-conference wins like that. And Nebraska's had success now. I didn't even realize that that Baylor had gotten back into the polls, Dave, until you'd mentioned yeah. it earlier. That. So they're up there, and then obviously they they beat what number ten Texas Tech, and you mentioned the Mississippi State not being able to play them, but those are huge. They have the third, opportunities, third strongest uh, non conference strength of schedule in the country. Nebraska does number three, um, and you would never know that by watching the BTN apparently. No, so we you will know we'll have three more nights of of hopefully learning nothing. But yeah, but the, the come coverage on, itself of the games in Nebraska are okay because they usually bring in. Someone like Larry Gluttony or Kugler, and they actually know what they're doing. It, it just—it's yeah. interesting. I mean, the bottom line is, it, even you know, with poor weather this year, Nebraska still is averaging. I th- I looked it up today. It was like forty-two hundred people per game, right? And that's actually down. Uh, we we're usually uh, above that. A couple of years ago, when we won the the conference, we were at fifty-two hundred. But that's still, still forty-two hundred per game is a top ten attendance, approximately. And it's pretty much dominated by SEC schools that have you know great weather and huge fan bases, and then it's Nebraska, and then like Creighton, it will be in the top twenty or thirty typically. Um, some of it based off of Nebraska playing there at least one game and, and having ten thousand fans that are bolstering that, but they they have a good crowd. They have over two or three thousand folks attending Creighton uh, games, and then you like you have a couple other. Colder weather schools like Wichita State, how somehow they still draw some people in Oregon State, and that's it. Everybody else is SEC schools that or Texas schools, and that's it. Nebraska is a different animal, and uh, the pack or the the Big Ten schools. Indiana has gotten better uh, as a program, and probably has been the best program since we've joined the the Big Ten. And attendance wise, is does okay. And Illinois and Purdue do okay, but I mean some of these other schools, Michigan, you just pointed out, Honky, it's like well under a thousand per game. They just have no following. You, if you search for Big Ten baseball on their newspaper websites, et cetera, they almost have no coverage. And so Nebraska's right. is in a different world compared to the rest of the well, Big Ten. Well, but to, to be fair, Dave, there there's so much more to do in Ann Arbor. Yes. yes. So I mean, we hear that. The funny know, thing a, is, it's a, what what bothers me to your point, Honky, though, is is even though. We are heads and tails from an interest level far more interested in, in Nebraska baseball than any other Big Ten school is in, interested in their own own uh, baseball team. We've actually become a three or four bid league now on a consistent basis. When we joined the league, it was a one or two at most, and now it's it's looking at probably a four bid league again this year. And we produce some pretty good teams. Uh, Iowa, for goodness sakes, the week before we played Arizona State, had UC Irvine a traditionally good West Coast team, and they beat UC Irvine in a series, just like we beat Arizona State. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the Big Ten's playing good baseball. Not great, but good baseball. Um, And just a question of how can Erstad ever get beyond where he's at right now? Because he's got the formula, as I mentioned, to to make the tournament almost every year. He's going to play one of the best non-conference schedules he could get, build up that RPI and strength of schedule, 
and then if you finish top four in the in the Big Ten, you're probably going to like to the NCAA regionals. How do you actually win in that regional? How can you recruit to get a, a stronger frontline pitching staff and and power in your lineup? I, I don't know where that will come from, but hopefully someday. Well, one thing that that we can do as fans, uh, and I think I gave a good lead on this on Saturday night. Um, I took my beautiful wife to uh, the Corner Square Hotel for a murder mystery. And uh, <laughs> while we were there, the Arizona State team walked in right by us because that's where they were staying. So um, I threw some voodoo at them. And what did we... you tell them to do? I got to say what I told them. But, uh, no, we, we took an elevi- elevator ride up. You know, and like I said, I just, you know, I – I just told them how good I thought Nebraska was, and, and uh, you know they they pulled off a victory the next day, and you know so there are things that all of us can do. We all have to play our role, is what my point is. That's right. And uh, you know the Redcasters, are, we're here for this team. We're and we're here for our guys. It's a fan podcast. Fan. We are fans. Good stuff. Hockey. Was there any mailbag questions on baseball this week? Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. Osborne asked, "Is is baseball still a three seed in a regional after last weekend's series win?" I don't know if so, still a three seed was the right uh, question to ask. We are now a three seed, I would guess. I, again, I think most of the bracket projections go out tomorrow on Baseball America and D1 Baseball. But I, I think we were out last week, if I was not mistaken, right, Boomer? Uh, on, on a the few bracket. of us still had us as a three seed here and there. But, yeah, it was it was yeah, pretty borderline. A few of us had us like the first four out. So it was yeah, yeah, right so on the edge. Yeah. Get us three seed in. squarely back uh, in. And if you could beat Michigan – and uh, you know, win some Big Ten tournament games, you could be safely in a three. There's, I guess, if you win the Big Ten tournament, I I don't say being a two seed is not completely out of the realm. The RPI could build up. Creighton is in a situation where they could end up winning their conference, win their conference tournament, have an RPI under twenty. There's a slight chance that Creighton could host. I and mean, that's not completely out of the realm of possibility there for the uh-huh. Blue Jays. So. I I, I want to. Uh, I think Mac actually has a baseball well, question, and this is this is good because Mac yeah. is Joe six pack fan out there. He doesn't is, know much is. about Husker baseball, so this question could, is for all those people that don't know what. Yeah, what do you, when you're saying a three seed, a three seed in what? Yeah, so that's the uh, equivalent of. So let, let's do the math really quick here, right? There's 16 regions um, that will host 14 pods. And so you have the one seed in each one of them is the equivalent of being a one through a four seed in the NCAA tournament in basketball. Okay. Right? Uh, they also identify the top eight seeds, the national seeds, and those would be like the ones and the twos essentially, right? Okay. And then you have your two seeds, which would then be your more like five through eight uh, teams in the NCAA basketball tournament. Your three okay. seeds, nine through twelves, your – the lowest three seeds would be your last teams in from an at-large uh, bid scenario. And then you have 13 through 16 would be your four seeds, which are typically all your automatic qualifiers from the small schools. And, you know, you see Binghamton and um, uh, Dave, it, do they do all the same automatic qualifiers in baseball that they do in basketball? I don't Is know if they have the a, same. It's, it's, I don't know if they have the exact same number because there's different conferences that – May or may not be sponsoring baseball opposed to basketball, but it's a similar number. It's in the low 30s, I believe. Gotcha. So it's a very similar scenario. You have 64 okay. teams, and so that's the, the scenario. So the four seeds are your generally your auto qualifiers. Your last teams ends are the lowest seeded three seeds. 
So it's 64, 64 teams, no play-in games. No like play-in teams or anything like that. Yeah, they went to this format it, in uh, around 2000 or so. So this is regardless of how we do in the Big Ten tournament. I think it depends well, the big t- uh, on the Michigan. Let's say we go 2-1 and one, uh, versus Michigan. I think if we had just won one game in the tournament, this is just my opinion, I think we're, we're safely in at that point. If we go one and two this week versus Michigan or get swept, then we probably have a little more work to do in the Big Ten to feel really good on Selection Sunday. But if we could win the series, I think we're uh, in really good shape to to advance. We probably would only need to win one game in the tournament to feel really comfortable. Okay, so so with with the recent woes of Husker baseball, what would be more valuable for Erstad to get guys get people off or get him off the hot seat? Would it be? a decent run in the Big Ten tournament, or would it be just status quo in the Big Ten tournament early out, but at least get a victory as as a three seed? Like in a regional. Like, yeah. like would a Big Ten, would a deep oh. run in the Big Ten tournament do him any favors? Well, really? but a deep run in the Big Ten tournament would potentially increase his seed, uh, whether it's, even if he's still a three seed, he could be a high three seed that might change where he goes from a geography or who the one seed is, and you may have an easier path to actually winning mm. a game or two, right? You have an mm. easier two seed potentially, et cetera, to play in your first round game. Uh, it, and so it has an impact on how the NCAA tournament would go. I think your, your basic question though, is what's more valuable, a, a deep run in the Big Ten tournament and improving your seed, Yeah, I but guess you still may what, go 0-2 in the NCAA tournament. You don't know, right? right? Or would right, you like rather? What's more valuable to Erstad is like what the po- if postseason. What we'll do for a postseason run for Erstad to get people kind of off most off back. most valuable to me would be a deeper run in the NCAA tournament. So if he somehow just gets in as a three seed, but then scares a one seed, beats the two seed, and actually like you know goes into the the last you know uh, game of the the regional and, and makes a run there, that would be more impressive to me. Hmm. Okay. Um, just because I felt that's what we want to see. We want to see us starting to be comp- competitive at a national level. Both in, would be good. I'd rather see both of them. I'd rather see us make a run in the Big Ten tournament, improve our seating, and then be competitive in the NCAs. Uh, we haven't done either one of those things re- right. recently, right? right? So I would take one of the two, either one. If you're telling me which one I want, I would take the NCAA over the Big Ten. Gotcha. Can we, can we get to being a two-seed? Is that possible? I mean, we... we RPI-wise, what, we're in the 30s? Yeah, so let, let's say hypothetically you sweep Michigan. Michigan's in the 40s and be dropping down into the 50s probably at that point, which is a little scary for Michigan even though they have a very good Big Ten conference record. Um, that would be uh, not good for them. But that would definitely up our RPI. If you look at um, the RPI needs report, if we would sweep Michigan, there's a we probably would be a top 32 RPI. And so that would start to be in that that two seed type area and then if you happen to make a deep run in the big 10 tournament that means you're going to not only get wins but you're going to get quality wins because you have indiana and illinois out there with good rpis and so you could potentially pick up extra i mean one of the the best resume things we have going for us i think there's we played 18 uh top top 50 or 100 uh, schools and we've won seven of those if you go ahead and beat michigan three times and then you beat Illinois and Indiana, you add four or five more of those wins. Yeah, well, you could be a two seed, definitely. I, okay. I still think it's out there. So if we've said right now the Big Ten is either a three or a four seed kind of conference right now, if it let's let's go with the high number there. It's four seeds. 
who are those four unless something crazy happens are those four Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Nebraska. Yeah, that's right. That'd be my, that'd be my four. I think uh, Iowa was actually flirting with that. Uh, they have a good conference record, and again, they had that quality win versus uh, Irvine, but they just lost a Sparty, I think, this weekend, and they RPI just mm-hmm. tumbled. And so they're now out. Uh, Minnesota has, a, I think, a decent RPI, but they don't even have a winning record, uh, so you couldn't even get an at-large. So I think it's really likely those four – but I wouldn't put anything past like an Iowa team that is actually pretty good from a roster perspective, making a run in the Big Ten tournament again. They've done that. Justy was a last year or two years ago. So um, I, there's a there's a slight chance you could get five if someone like an Iowa makes a run in the tournament. Cool. All right. Thank you. That's good baseball talk. I mean, we we don't do enough. You know, we try to pride ourselves on doing multiple sports, not just football. Though that's clearly the the bulk of our talk there. But baseball. Especially times like this, like I mean, we want to devote as much time as we can, and I know sometimes it gets pushed to the to the end of the show. But like, this is really this is clutch time right now. I mean, yeah, we're, we're getting yeah. down to the last the last games of the season. This for is for all good. the Redcasters out there. I mean, from a national media standpoint, to, to Max's point, uh, another great opportunity is if Big Ten tournament is in Omaha this year. So if we would make a run there, you know, and you have mm-hmm. another one of those type of. You know, I mean, maybe it would just be fun for a rivalry. Let's say it's Iowa-Nebraska in the Big Ten Tournament uh, Championship game on that Sunday. You know, and then you have a, a packed house of 20,000 with a little bit of black sprinkled in with that red. That would, you know, make a, a little national headline. So, um, yeah. you, you'd like to see that. And uh, that, that makes the Big Ten baseball look better for recruits across the board. So. Yeah, if you're still listening this late into the show, let us know on <laughs> let us know on social media because we can tell how many people listen to the show, but not how long. Tweet the word. Let us know. Pineapple. Tweet pineapple at us, and that will tell us that you are show. still listening this deep, and you are the best. You are true Husker fans. If you if you tweet the word pineapple and we select your name, you can win a program from 19. What do you got? You guys. Uh, mock- uh, you guys mock me on this, but the the boomers, are, <laughs> or maybe it's hockey. I don't know whose point it was. Like, there's so little Big Ten baseball coverage. I oh, mean, there's just abysmal. like no one yeah. talks about this. I so think they put I, I would not be surprised if we yeah. get pineapple tweeted at us a couple of times. I hope we do. I hope we do. I trust you, Redcaster. Pineapple the the hell out of us, guys. Pina colada, I'll also accept. <laughs> Pina colada. There you go. All right. All right, guys. Anything else? <laughs> nah. All uh, right. Let's get the heck out of here with some parting <laughs> shots, Sonky. Well, we're not just a, a football, basketball, and baseball uh, program. Let's talk a little volleyball for a second. Former Nebraska player uh, Michaela Fecky, she's still in contention to play for Team USA in the Volleyball National League Tournament this summer. Jordan Larson and Kelsey Robinson also made the 25-player the cut. So just congratulations to, to really the best program you know at, at yeah. NU over the last Amen. decade, two decades. Um, two other things. Um, Facebook, we're at 990 followers right now. I really want us to get to a thousand. It's just my own little personal. You like uh, even numbers. I do. I just I like seeing that. So so Redcasters, if if you're not following us on Facebook, please do. And and if you are following on us, following us on Facebook, share it. Tell your other create a you fake know, profile. Yeah, create. Do whatever it takes. Just get us to a thousand. And <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not above begging. And last but not least, uh, triple B B printing. Uh, Great guys, uh, I bought some. Uh, I bought a couple shirts. I'm going to take to the Colorado game uh, in uh, in September. But um, I got to talk with him, and, and we we've gotten to know them on on Twitter. But then meeting them at the uh, oh the 
farmer's market. I bought a shirt, and one of them, it's a Husker shirt, says it's not going to shuck itself, and it's a piece of corn. <laughs> it's awesome. So uh, just a shout-out to Triple B Printing. Oh, my gosh. They, they, they make all the cool shirts, like all the funny ones that you've seen, like, you know, Nebraska Republic that looks like a Banana Republic one, all that kind of stuff. It's like they did it. So buy stuff from Triple B. I'm, That's I'm, funny. I'm totally willing to, to throw out all right, kind of stuff, so. uh, Mac, what do you got for me? Uh, nothing much, Redcasters. Is everybody's graduating out there? You know, I wish all you, uh, you future adults, well in the uh, in the world as you go forth. Don't start a Redcast. Uh, also, Boomer, what do you got for me? Well, hockey's just way more dramatic than I ever expected there with all the you know product promos and everything else he's got going. It's impressive, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to- marketing. Yep, that's good. I just wanted to reiterate what Hockey said. Let's uh, go out to finish up this home baseball season with some great attendance. The weather should be great. I think uh, one of my coworkers and one of our regular uh, uh, baseball men on the ground is actually going to be trying to tailgate out there for the Saturday game. So if you, you get go. a chance, go out. Uh, let's uh, make that happen. And maybe the Big Ten might accidentally see our podcast and decide, you know, hey, maybe we should cover this baseball thing. And let's not put Wisconsin in charge of covering baseball for the conference. So <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping for, like, uh, Rick Pizzo to say pineapple on air. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, come Boomer, on, Rick. Boomer, is it, is it co-worker yes, Eric? Yes, correct. Yep. All right. Hey, co-worker and, Eric, pineapple. And, and, and Boomer, while we were recording, you did text me the, uh, the, the tweets about the pre- 1920s football team and i did see that i just didn't know what you were talking about when you said oh i don't either so don't worry so yeah but i had a post i had a post-war edition for you as well so there i am hip was the uh the winner there that should be your other the other artificial name so yep so awesome thank you all right guys uh, let's call that a go big red cast yay beat michigan go big red